Welcome to the Luchadors of Liberty podcast on the Higher Frequency Podcast Network. Donate to our Patreon at Higher Frequency Podcast Network and donate and follow our YouTube page, Facebook, follow us on SoundCloud and Spotify, iTunes, wherever you can get podcasts, really. What is up, D? We're we're back. We're back. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the 2020 Libertarian Party presidential candidates. Right, and if you listened to the last episode, I had the pleasure of, it was kind of an interview, it was kind of a party, so I mean, this will be more of a formal episode, I guess, but uh, on the No Force One with Adam Kokesh, and uh, we got, actually, Adam Kokesh interviewed Lincoln Chafee's campaign manager on the podcast, so you had that going on, you had, you just had a whole bunch of stuff going on, so we're here to break down I'm here for the convention, and I'm here with a little bit of help uh, from Demetrios, and he's got he's got some outside notes, and I have notes specifically from the LPF convention. Yeah, so basically Robert's got the insider knowledge, since he's the one who actually went to the Florida LP convention. Journalista. Hell yeah. And I'm the one talking more from just your average run-of-the-mill libertarian who's looking for the right candidate to vote for. Well, give yourself a little bit more credit than that. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm just doing my best to make sure that everybody's free and free of taxes. Well, from the looks of it, in a few years you could run for president, <laughs> the way it's shaping up to be. <laughs> I mean, for real. Uh, I'm not saying we there weren't great presidential candidates up there, um, but there are a lot of libertarians out there who are running who I think um, lack the passion and maybe even some, some of the uh, philosophical backing uh, that you've had in your lifetime. You know, they're just now discovering at their age. Yeah, you see people who are in their 40s, their 50s, who are just now realizing that taxation is pretty much just highway robbery mm-hmm. and nothing less. You know the the guy that wears the taxation uh, is theft hat? Yeah, Dan Berman. Yeah, so Dan Berman um, was wearing the hat, and some lady in the crowd was shouting, Take the hat off! The whole time, like, in the beginning. And he actually did take it off, so I guess um, there's a crowd in there that does not want him to have the hat on all the time I don't, I don't know what what the deal is i like that i i think with a lot of the the candidates like dan berman like vermin supreme some of the more serious libertarian party members just want our candidates to be taken a bit more seriously mm-hmm. yeah and i i get that but it's it's like an attention drawer i like that and uh like vermin for the for example exact i'm glad you brought him up he uh has he's internationally known as a man who runs for president as a meme basically but now he's running uh under the libertarian ticket and he's actually kind of serious if you you know if you listen to how he's talking now this year compared to past election cycles i think it's just getting more serious you you look at the way the race is going now and People like Mike Bloomberg who are coming in and spending millions, hundreds of millions of dollars just to buy the ticket. Mm-hmm. People like Vermin Supreme are really the last bit of sanctity we have left in the system who are running just on their own morals of their own volition. And listen, guys, if you're out there going, are you saying Vermin the Supreme is seriously a uh, a presidential candidate that I should consider? I'm going to tell you, yeah. And I don't care if he's wearing a boot on his head or a boot on his dick or anything like that. I think he's he's fit for the job. I I actually talked with the guy, and the whole point is, if if you're a sane human being, you understand he's just making a mockery of the system. That's what he's been doing uh, for what three plus decades now, I think. Yeah. So that's what he's been doing, and he's been doing a great job of that. And now he's saying, "Yeah, I do have the support." And the way he added it up was kind of funny. Um, he goes, you take all the high schoolers graduating, then they're going to vote. And then you take all the younger votes and then you add them all up and you get 5%. And that's the magical 5% number that as libertarians are like dying for, you know, we get the 5% we're in the debates. So you get that, that that's how he added up. He used like the younger generation. He's got the younger generation's vote. Well, I mean, if you keep adding it up and he's Mm -hmm. been doing it for three decades, you keep winning, you know, a couple percent of every generation that comes through. You're bound to make it into one of the debates. Right. And I would love to see Vermin Supreme on on one of the libertarian tickets. Like, I don't it. 
it's just one of those things where you, you know you got you got money and you're in Vegas and you spend all, all all your money on something but you're like but I have a significant amount of change that I still need to spend it's my gambling money and fuck if I'm not going to throw it on Vermin the Supreme <laughs> you know yeah, I get that I get that <laughs> He's actually very personable and relatable, which was absolutely fucking crazy to me. I don't understand. Like, I well, was, he looks uh, like a lunatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's he's really not. He's he's probably the most down to earth guy I met there at the convention. And same goes with a lot of the presidential presidential candidates. Jacob Hornberger, very personable. Um, Adam Kokesh, super personable, super relatable. You know, I I loved meeting all those guys. It was it was a great experience, and hopefully you'll get to go to nationals with me if uh, if we can manage that. Who knows? Yeah, that'd be interesting. Uh, so so do you have anything right off the bat? Um, so why don't we just start off with who we're planning on uh, voting for, or who we find uh, our deepest interest to be in? Okay. Um, I, I think just, we are, we're both on the same page here. Yeah, we're both Jacob Hornberger yeah. all the way. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a little torn now that I I met um, some people at the convention, uh, but overall my politics line more with the Mises Institute and Jacob Hornberger, and I like um, you know that he's he's reaching out to all these podcasts, and uh, hopefully maybe uh, we can have him on. That'd be fun. Yeah, he, he does a lot of Zoom interviews. And uh, I'll be like, hey, I'm the guy who went to uh, law school who you talked to in the lobby. By the way, I don't know if he was. Jacob, you looked blazed, son. You looked looked scorched whenever you were entering in. So he flew into Orlando on Friday, and he stayed that night. He flew out to Arkansas and then flew back in the same day to Orlando. Yeah, I don't. He's he's actually doing some presidential shit. Like I don't know of anyone else who did that. Yeah. Well, that one of the things I like about Jacob Hornberger is the fact that he's a very electable man, and he's treating it like a presidential race. He's doing things like flying back and forth between Arkansas and Florida in one day, and probably the reason he was looking blazed is because he's exhausted. The presidential campaign trail is exhausting. Yeah, I'm placing my my money on exhaustion. But yeah, absolutely. Also, he's just got a friendly face, and anyone with a friendly face, you're like, are you just smiling or are you high? So that's what I think. Um, one thing I liked about uh, what he said at, at the presidential debate at LPF convention, uh, he said, I'm running to win. Don't tell me the odds. I was like, fuck it. I like it. I like that attitude. Like, yeah, we're libertarians. We know we're probably not going to win this thing. But damn it, if you don't have a good attitude, like, you, you, you're you going into a presidential race, you better have a good attitude, and you can sure as shit make sure that the Democrats and the Republicans look stupid. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things, it feels like an American attitude. Like, don't tell me the odds. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go for it. And he's one of those people that seems to have that attitude that it doesn't really matter what everyone else is doing. He's going to do his own thing, and he's going to make sure it's the thing that's going to get him elected. Because he's not... He's not running on anyone else's platform. He's running on a Jacob Hornberger platform that just so happens to be a libertarian one. And I like that he, uh, if if you listen to him in any interview he does, he wants to bring back the Ron Paul movement, yeah. which is what is has been missing from from the libertarian movement since 2012, really. And and uh, he wants to end the Fed, like Paul Paul did. He wants to end the drug war, you know, end all these wars. And if you're sitting at home listening to this podcast or wherever you're listening to it, I know that you're not for endless wars, the drug war, and all these taxes. Like, if you are, then you might be a neoliberal and you might be my friend Trey listening to this. But other than that, I think you can get on at least one of these same pages and say, okay, this is needless spending. This is endless war, you know. These are, I think, messages that resonate with a lot of people. It's just a lot of people aren't exposed to our philosophies, right? And one of the points that I really liked is he was talking on the Revolution podcast about just abolishing Social Security. Now, to anybody under the age of 55, we're all excited about that because we've been paying taxes on money we've barely been earning— working very low-paying jobs. Yeah, we're not going to have a Social Security. There's there's no way. With all the debt the country has, our Social Security couldn't even cover that. 
But he says, we just get rid of it. And that makes perfect sense. All the people who have been saving their money and putting it in taxes to go towards Social Security could have been putting that money in a 401k or an IRA or a private savings account and using that money to gain interest rather than have the government invest that money for you. Right. So this is why I have you on the podcast, because you're the economics guy. <laughs> so so explain so to your everyday layman listening to this podcast, explain why you handling your own money is better than the government taking, you know, taking doing like social security, taking your money and then re- giving it to older people. Yeah. So as a private investor, what you're doing is you're giving generally you're giving your money to an investment firm and they're handling it for you. You shop around, you find the correct investment firm for you, the one you think is going to be able to best handle your money. You have the option as a private citizen to find the company that's going to do the best work for you. When you're paying into Social Security, you're entrusting the government, which I'm sure all of you guys love the government. And, I fucking love the government. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure you and you love entrusting everything you do to them. Mm-hmm. They're not going to make the wisest decision for you. They're going to make the wisest decision for the government. Whatever the asset is that benefits the, co- the government the most is the one they're going to put the money in. They're not going to try and benefit the private citizen. Generally, interest on Social Security accounts is lower than interest on 401k and IRA accounts. There you go. And there you have it. And that's just within 11 minutes of listening to this podcast. You have become that much more of a libertarian. I love it. So uh, another thing, uh, Jacob Hornberger did a great job of during the uh, during the debate at at the LPF convention was deflecting Mark Whitney's endless um, bombardment of uh, basically not profanities because he did that the night before, but just hits on him saying you've never actually won a trial or a case like this because he was like I own the law west or the law I've looked on Westlaw and LexisNexis, haven't found you on any of these cases. And Jacob's like, not all cases are on on these things. And I'm pretty sure he was only a trial attorney for a short period of time. And then he went to the um, the Freedom Foundation or what it was. was it? Is that? It's organization. Yeah, the, for, yeah. the FFF. Uh, yeah, Triple F. Yeah, Triple F, something like that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, and he did a really good job of uh, having two cases, like, off the top of his head that he told and I don't know if he planned that like if he knew like uh someone might call me on my shit because you can't find me on Westlaw or Lexus neck which which kind of sucks because I want to be able to look him up on Westlaw and Lexus but if I can't then I'm gonna believe him if he's you know saying no I was co-counsel I did this uh very detailed story about how he did it and pretty much uh left Mark Whitney uh not well i get he was still fighting he was like you you really haven't won anything so he was still fighting it and just because he wasn't the exact trial attorney on the specific case doesn't mean he didn't help win it mm-hmm. there there's a whole team of people going behind every single case making sure that everything is perfect that's the way a trial functions you have teams on both sides it's not just one guy you're not going to say oh you know and whitney should understand that too he's also an attorney like yeah. he was also an attorney yeah but to the average everyday layman, th- that's going to sound like, oh, Hornberger's lying about being being a practicing attorney because they don't know what goes behind the scenes. It's like saying, you know, Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. No, the whole pa- the whole Patriots team wins the Super Bowl. Yeah, the whole the whole Chiefs team wins the Super Bowl. Right, it, it's not just one guy. Yeah, why'd you say the Patriots, dude? Well, bring the me Patriots back. Patriots always win. Ah, they so. do. Yeah, you know I'm not too not big on the this NFL. year. No, I don't care. It's fine. <laughs> Um, you want to you want to get to Mark Whitney, your your favorite favorite candidate? I really like it. It pisses me off because I really wanted to like Mark Whitney because he's a comedian. He's owned a comedy club for I think he said like forty years. He's an attorney. He did the Law Donet, and his platform does not look bad. Like it doesn't look bad. He's got a great platform. Don't, he really does. Don't like the uh, the motto, the keep banging. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen his video, but it's it's a little. I don't know. I, I just keep banging like, and I know if, if Mark ever if he's listening to this, he's like, "How about you come up with something, you motherfucker, or you mother Jacober?" <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, that's another thing." He was like, "I'm just, since I can't say motherfucker, I'm gonna say mother Jacober." This whole time, he's just like, "Wouldn't let it go." It's like my mother. 
<laughs> like my mother and my girlfriend in the same car, just like not letting anything go at the same time. And I'm like, Jesus, fuck. Will you just like let me breathe for a little bit? Yeah, and that's one of the things you can't have as a presidential candidate either. It makes it really hard to be electable when all you're going to do is fight one guy over the exact same issue over and over and over again. I will tell you, though, uh, because I don't like being negative about everything about Mark Whitney. So he, my first impression of him was he was upset because um, the... Donna and I forgot her hus- forget her husband's name who who put on the convention uh, the LPF Florida the Libertarian Party of Florida convention they set standards for the debate saying there will be no you know cussing like beca- profanity, profanity profanity because the Libertarian Party for many years has had uh, people streak naked across the stage um, and a plethora of other things that lead the other political parties and other people who vote to just not want to vote for the Libertarian Party because they don't take you seriously. And at the end of the day, it is a political it is a political organization and also a private organization. So if they make rules, you should kind of adhere to those rules. So he was saying, I'm not going to censor my speech. This is the party that's, you know, used to stand up for that kind of stuff. I should be able to say whatever I want. It's my first amendment right and he's got a good point he's got a damn good point and it resonated with me but the way he was saying it is uh, the delivery was off if you want to put it in like open mic comedian terms the delivery was off obviously he was passionate about it i loved it um i clapped one time for him uh when there was like two people clapping and then he lost a lot of momentum one person clapped and he was like just one guy clapped for me and we were like ah and then the crowd was kind of digging into him a little bit, and he was digging back. I don't know. It was it was rough, but I get where he's coming from. It seems like an issue you bring up at the beginning of your speech mm-hmm. and at the end of your speech because it's not something you can – it's not something that you're going to be running on. It's not something that requires that much attention. You walk in, you say, look, I don't like this rule. I think it's very stupid, very much against our values, and you go on with talking about important issues. Now – he does actually talk about important issues, with, which is what I like about him. On his website, he has licensing on here. How many other libertarians talk about licensing? And it, it's a huge issue. It is a huge issue. You have issue. to get a license to do everything. You want to go fishing in the state of Florida? You got to get a license. Yeah, like I could cut your hair like pretty damn good. Uh, let me watch a YouTube video real quick. I could give you a nice little fade. I could give you a beard trim. I don't need a license for that. But you do. But I do. In order to cut people's hair in Florida. Legally. Legally, I need a license for that. It's it's stupid. What are some other things? What are some other things you need a license for? What like hunting, fishing, hunting, yeah. fishing? You need a license for it. Um, I actually just recently got my boating license. I had to take a boating safety class in order to be able to drive a boat. I've been driving a boat since I was like thirteen. Mm-hmm. When my dad would hop in the water to go diving, I was the one who was taking care of the boat. So, <laughs> and people say like, well, how would you fix you know uh, drivers who drive poorly? Well, if they get in a wreck with you, then they pay for it. They're liable. That's how that is. Yeah. They have the money for it. They don't have to spend the money, uh, spend their money on outrageous licensing fees. Yeah. And one of the things he talks about. And I can, uh, that's one of those things that I can even give some ground on. Yeah. Because I'm not full blown, you know, like right now down with the state. Well, you know, licensing for, for occupational professionals. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. I want my doctor to be able to, you know, be certified by a board of doctors who say this guy knows what the hell he's doing. Yeah. I want my attorneys to be certified by the board of bar examiners mm-hmm. so that I know that my attorney is going to be taking care of me. Professions where you have somebody's life in your hands, it makes sense for to have certification. But when you're talking about having to pay $25 to get a license to go catch some lobster under some rocks, mm-hmm. you don't need a license for that. Yeah, it's just an extra tax, if you will, by the state, you know? Yeah. It is. And the the sunk cost is relatively high for some people. And these are things that conservatives will look at and be like, no, you're crazy. So these are things that Republicans should be able to get on board with libertarians for, you know? And really, they haven't been because they've been so stuck in this, uh, well, you have to vote for one of the parties, being the Democrat or the Republican Party. 
The Republican Party. Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> and he also talks about sex work on on his website too, which I think is phenomenal. I think he lives out there. Yeah, he's from he's in from the, the sexy land. Yeah, I think he's been to the Bunny Ranch a couple times. Yeah, well, not the Bunny Ranch. The uh, what isn't the the Bunny Ranch out in Nevada? I have no idea. The, I think so. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. you've been there. I haven't been there, but uh, I know what you're talking about uh, the, the hooker <laughs> palace. Yeah, or the prostitute palace. Yeah, but no, I, I think that's good to have on his website. A lot of a lot of libertarians will talk about, oh, you know, we need to decriminalize drugs or legalize drugs. But sex work's one of the oldest professions in the world, and for some reason, it's still illegal in the United States mm-hmm. in most places. And it's not. It's like uh, this one irks me because because I mean, like, it's not illegal here. Like, porn is a huge industry in America, massive. And even like like as an amateur podcaster, and I've been podcasting for about two and a half, three years now. Um, I, I aspire to get as many likes on Instagram as a girl with a fat ass. That is like my, if, if I can do that, that is the the height of my success and I will be happy with my life. If I can get like 2000 likes on some social media platform or some more likes than a girl with a fat ass. Just the, the easy solution here is just get dummy thick and they get paid for that. Yeah. And so, and and also you go into like the OnlyFans stuff now. Yeah. If you haven't heard of OnlyFans, you'll you'll lose all your money. Don't do it. But there's girls who film themselves doing stuff, and they they give you like get you like monthly subscription to it. It's like it's like The Economist, really, <laughs> if you think about it. <laughs> Maybe a little more useful than the modern Economist. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you like John Mons though, right? That. I do. I I like him a lot. Um, I don't think he has the. He, he doesn't have. He he doesn't have the shine of like you know a uh, nice '67 Chevy that just got restored and it's sitting in the lot, you know. But he really has great values and talked to me about his life story and really gave a quick breakdown of that and he's been a homeschool dad for a, a long time and he's fought some cases against like traffic tickets and other things pro se and uh just just a good guy and i like what he had to say let me see if i got any um so solid notes on him he, he's less like the fully restored 57 chevy and more like the 80 ford that your dad's got in the garage that he's been he's had since 1980 that's still running yeah he's he's reliable and and that's the thing about about john mons he i think he said he had over 1.8 million libertarian votes wow for him that's pretty good so that's pretty good he's a member of the NAACP. So he's bringing in members from the black community who are, you know, relatively not familiar with libertarian principles. And they're pretty estranged by both parties. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like the Democratic Party's kind of throwing them away and the Republican Party threw them away a long time ago. Well, well, the Democrats, uh, they didn't pull in the vote, a lot of the black vote um, with Hillary in 2016. Curious to see where the black vote would go now, this year. I imagine with Bernie Sanders, it would yeah. probably go with, but I couldn't imagine them voting for Joe Biden or definitely not Elizabeth Warren. Right. I, I can't see them being electable by minorities. Right. But th- I like John Mons because the message that he brings is, hey, look, um, I've adopted these principles in my life and it's helped me as a person of color. And, you know, I obviously I'm a white guy, so I'm not I can't speak from that perspective, but I'm open to having someone on the ticket or someone at running for president who can bring um, people of color to the libertarian platform because if there's something that we need more at, at a libertarian conventions, it's one, women, and two, uh, diversity. And I'm not someone who preaches diversity, but it's important to have in political situations. Well, diverse, diversity of dialogue. One of the biggest things is mm-hmm. you can end up in an echo chamber if you don't end up with the diversity of dialogue. Right. And you look at his platform on his website, and it's just it's so practical. It really is. Um, he's got three big tenets. Stop criminalizing poverty. Stop letting Congress ruin our economic future. And stop driving up the cost of being a human in America. It's very simple. It talks to everybody. I mean, you, 
you hit every segment of the population with this. He's talked, stop criminalizing poverty. You have a lot of minorities in poverty. You have, obviously, poor people who are struggling in America, who are dealing with the cash bail system, how easy it is to get probable cause for warrants and arrests, and the fact that the government is surveilling everything we do. In these communities, they are plagued by police. And when I say plagued, I mean you have cops on every corner. People who haven't experienced this sort of life don't realize how scary it is and how hard it is to live like that. So one question, uh, you're exactly right, by the way, and and things you pointed out, like uh, like repealing, um, what did you, you said repealing the taxes, right? Yeah. So he he mentioned um, repealing the Sixteenth Amendment and the federal income tax, and he said. Um, he would push abolishing the IRS slave tax. He calls it a slave tax, yeah. which is, you know, it's a it's a but hot button word. I like that that he he's using that kind of language. Um, but someone asked uh, John John Mons, imagine if he was the Libertarian Party president, how would that look? He said there would be excitement, free media because he's got a lot of ties. In, in Georgia, where he is, where he's ran for office a few times. Um, he's got a proven record of success within the LP. Like I mentioned before, the 1.8 million voters who have voted for him in the past. And with the NCAA, or NAACP, he, uh, is bridging, he is bridging non-traditional um, candidates. He's bringing them to the party, so that's good. I think he has an article on FloridaCourier.com. Something about that going on, but yeah, um, I really like John Mons, and I think he ended up second in the straw poll. Second in the straw poll, he came in second in the straw poll, and I'm telling you, he was very impressive. And then I don't know what happened in the other states. I didn't even see his name on there, so I don't know if he was there or. Um, he speaks to Floridians too. I mean, he's he's a man from Georgia. Yeah, you know, he's he's not much different than the people in Florida, Florida, North Florida, mm-hmm. in Georgia are pretty much the same state. There's not much of a difference. Yeah, in Alabama. If uh, if you're from Pensacola, my hometown, he actually went to Tate High School, and he threw in a Go Aggies. So if you're an Aggie, that one's for you. He did he did a good job there. Um, you asked me about this guy earlier, um, Arvin Vora. Um, he had a very, very uh, passionate, energetic voice, and... I have not had a big opportunity to look into Arvin. Um, one thing I was questioning was um, his don't put an age on adulthood thing. And I'm not sure what age he is insisting on making uh, people adults or not. I'd, I'd like to question him more, more on that and see what his philosophy is behind it. Because it comes off a little pedo at first. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think that's the hesitation there with that. But other than that, I liked what he was saying, but that's wrapping a bow on a turd pretty pretty hard. Yeah, I I think if you're good on every issue, but you're a pedo, it makes everybody a little <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> I think so, too. But I don't think he is. I'm not saying he is, but it just came off a little like, oh, I've never heard of you before. You want to do hot now? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Did uh, did he give he said no legal age of consent? Was, uh, what are you saying? No, or was he saying like adulthood could happen at any age? I don't think he went into it that much and I'm trying to find my notes. I think it's just something that he's known for and that he uh he's been through in his life to where he needed to be an adult at a certain age and the government was like you can't. Um I get that though. I get that. But mm-hmm. I I want to look more into that. That's why I brought it up. But he was very passionate and uh, stood up every time he got the mic. And I like that. He has a strong voice. Um, Let me see. His immigration stance is actually one of my favorite in the race. Um, He matches Jacob Hornberger when he talks about immigration. Pretty much the ideal libertarian stance of end the welfare state, open borders. Because that's really all we need to do. There's no issue with immigration if... Immigrants aren't coming here and getting welfare from your tax dollars, getting free schooling, free college, free health care, free everything mm-hmm. because of your tax dollars. The government is stealing from you and giving it to people who may or may not have legally entered this country. You get rid of the welfare state. There's no issue with immigrants. There you go. Um, one thing that um, Vora did quite well, he 
posed to Lincoln Chafee, who is a tradition, I think is a Republican coming from Republican background. Um, he posed to him a couple questions. One, he pointed out uh, that Chafee voted for the Patriot Act, which, if you're a libertarian, no bueno essay. And that that basically um, made the whole room have an audible gasp, and it was actually pretty funny to be a part of there. So <laughs> uh, he did that, and then he also asked Chafee if the government should continue to ban machine guns, to which... Lincoln Chavy did a masterful ballerina move around that question and managed to answer it, but not really answer it. He was like, I will never um, go against the Constitution. It's like, you don't have to go against the Constitution. Machine guns are banned already. Like, you, you could be all for the Constitution and never do anything about these machine not guns. not entirely banned. No, not entirely but you do have to, for certain weapons, you have to get you know a trust with a specific amount of money in the weapon's name and your name to be able to purchase it. Mm-hmm. But from the perspective who's asking this question, he's like, "Why can't I have my tank?" <laughs> you know. So yeah. there, that that's where he was going. Chafee was like, "Ah, I'm gonna go with I like the Second Amendment." <laughs> you should be able to have your tank though if you want your tank. Yeah, why not? Yeah, even even on um. Lincoln Chafee's website, and from what I've seen from him, he's he's very political in the way he discusses the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. He likes to dodge the more important points on it. And we can go to Lincoln Chafee. I I like I liked him. Uh, only had the op- opportunity to talk with him briefly, um, and had an opportunity to speak with his campaign manager, uh, which was nice. And hopefully, uh, my friend Spencer up in Santa Rosa County got got the last podcast to uh, to. I think it was, was his name Rob. Uh, I can't remember right now. Anyway, but hopefully they put it out to Lincoln, and maybe maybe word will get back around. But he did a really good job. Um, you can tell he's a politician, and he's very good with words. He did a great job of apologizing uh, for voting for the Patriot Act, and basically painting the picture that was the time surrounding 9-11, the immediate times surrounding 9-11. He said, listen, I voted for it. Um, He said Ron Paul voted for it. And I don't think that's accurate. I have no idea. Uh, But if you're going to bring that up in a room full of libertarians, and no one questioned him on it, I was sitting in my seat going... Did Ron Paul vote for the Patriot Act? I don't think so. No, he didn't. And he voted against it in 2005. Yes. So that's, that's an inaccurate statement. So, so not true. That's a live fact check here. And, and you know, I don't know who told him Ron Paul voted for it. Or maybe if he just thought it was a good thing to say in the moment. But it's not, not accurate. Um, but he did apologize for it. He's saying, you know, it was... A time of we need to do this immediately to find the terrorizers. Well, you know, you know the difference between you know your character and you know who you are as a person. It, it really how you react in an emergency situation such as that really shows who you are as a person. When when all eyes are on you, when the going gets tough, you react by giving away our freedom. And it's an old strategy that yeah. that people know about. When there's a disaster. That is when the government and the state will seize on the opportunity to take more power. Yeah. And so in times like 9-11, the Gulf of Tonkin, stuff like that, we should be wary of our rights and know that, yeah, we could give up some rights for a little bit more safety, but in the long run, it's better not to. It's better to have freedom. Yeah, and that's one of the things Ron Paul actually said because I remember him voting against the Patriot Act. And I think one of the things he said was, in this great time of need, we shouldn't be thinking about giving up our rights. We should be thinking, how do we make them more well-protected? And Lincoln Chafee's been in the scene for too long. I, I think he's too political to be electable. He's he's another another Gary Johnson. I think he's a little bit better than Gary Johnson, but I'm on the same page with you. I, I like the issues... That he brought up and how how he was talking about them, I think he did a better job of that than Gary Johnson. But in the same token, he's still a hand-me-down Republican. He is, and that's like I mean that in 
the worst possible way. <laughs> because I don't want someone who who has been a Republican and who the party is going to settle for because they have political ties. And that's what it would be with, with Chafee right now. But with that being said, you know, there's two sides of that coin. He has political ties. If he got in, you know, he would know who to hire for like the chief of staff. You know, he would know, he would know the ins and outs of the government. Hell, he's worked in the government. He was a Senator, right? Or a governor. No, he was a, he was something. He was something. Yeah. <laughs> it ran for governor as an independent. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I got that right. Yeah, first independent governor elected in Rhode Island's history. And so whenever you look at that, it's like he has political ties. And if he's telling the truth, if he's being honest with all the libertarians now, what he stands for now, I am fine with that. He voted against the Iraq war. He's apologizing for voting for the Patriot Act. He's bringing up issues like the deficit, getting out of the wars, and issues that both parties are talking about, which is how the libertarians are going to bring in interest from those parties. Because we're not going to bring in interest talking about licensing and stuff. That's not what the Democrats and the Republicans are worried about. The Dems are worried about, you know, uh, climate change and this and that. And he's talking about bringing that in, and so is um, Joe Jorgensen. I got her name right. I think so. Joe Jorgensen. Joe Jorgensen. Could be Joe Jorgensen. Joe Jorgensen. Not exactly I sure. I think it's Jorgensen. Yeah. Okay. So uh, those two, um, I think, have the best shot of, of bringing in outsiders from the two main political parties. Now, I'm not familiar with Joe Jorgensen. What's what's her background? I'm not very familiar with her either. Um, I got to talk to her a little bit uh, at the convention. She didn't attend the first night. So I wasn't able to get to talk to her then. Um, what the fuck kind of notes do I have right now? 19 politicians, phone sex solicitors. I'm turned on. Oh, I think she was saying something and it kind of sounded sexy. Um, I don't know. I she have no idea. Hot. She was she was the um, vice presidential nominee in 96. So she does have a pretty good history with the Libertarian Party. Um, 96 was around the time when we were she, actually becoming more focused on what eventually became the Ron Paul so, movement. So she said, um, she wants to grow the party. That would be her main goal. And in 96, she doubled the size of the party. Yeah. So, so that's, that, that was her main goal. Um, uh, let's see, let's see. Um, I don't, ha- I don't, she's, she's more of a, a pragmatist. Yeah. Uh, which is another caucus within the Libertarian Party is the Pragmatist Caucus. So um, I like I like her a lot. Um, I like that she's able to bridge the gap, but I don't know if she would be my top vote, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I just want to hear more from her. I want to hear more about how she's going to get younger voters and talk about um, environmental, environmental issues with these with these Democrats and try and bring them in. She was saying, um, basically, bring in more nuclear energy and have private companies compete um, because the nuclear uh, plants that we were building w- was based on this old technology and it's way bigger and less efficient than the technology we have now. And so she's saying bring in more nuclear energy, which is going to be smaller and more efficient and have private companies compete all over, compete for it without there being a, you know, winner gets all kind of bid. Yeah. And it actually says here, I popped open our website. She's an industrial and organizational psychologist. Mm-hmm. So probably a lot of her, her background is. I wrote in, that down too. What, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Probably a lot of her background is working with organizations to try and get the most efficient, you know, the most um, economically viable option. And she is here, you know, most pollution is generated in developing countries anyway. So zero emission energy sources, you're looking at, you know, solar, you're looking at wind, you're looking at nuclear, are going to eventually be our best option. Fossil fuels run out when fossils run out. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, So she's trying to make the change from fossil fuels to nuclear energy. Um, 
with free market solutions. So that's the key right there is the free market solutions. We're tired of this oligarchy of or you didn't call it an oligarchy. You, uh, you called it something else. A while, oligopoly. Oligopoly where the government is working hand in fist with with the uh, companies giving giving uh, basically. Uh, it's it's monopolistic supply side, yes. but are oligopolistic supply side because they they each kind of control a different portion of each state, and they have monopoly control over that specific portion. They're of that saying state. wink, wink, uh, cough, cough. We we have a bid, and we have money. Yeah. Or you know, you have a bid, we have money. Um, you were on the board of that company, and now you're working for this committee in the government now. Yeah, Spectrum sucking the the tenth district's dick. Cox is sucking the fifth district's dick. That sort of thing. So. All this. Now, Cox probably wasn't the best example there with a name like that. Cox is sucking dick. They're 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 sucking dick. And um, one of the things I, I liked about her was her talk about uh, government spending, and just blocking any new borrowing. It's a very simple solution. Mm-hmm. Just don't borrow any more money. Everyone's like, oh, we're going to cut the deficit. We're going to stop spending. Why not just stop borrowing? It's we like, can still spend. Yeah, <laughs> it's like our country, like. Like you ever shop on Amazon with an unlimited credit card and and then you wake up the next morning after like drinking and you're like, oh, no, what did I do? That's our country, folks. That's what's happening. And we owe a lot of money to a lot of different places. And the best way to figure the best way to get out of this is to stop spending, cut it, leave it up to private organizations, private companies to compete with each other. That's how the best solutions in capitalism and in the Western world have come to fruition. Yeah. Fuck, look at SpaceX. Yeah, exactly. I was going to use Tesla as my example. Look at that. NASA disappears, vacuum opens. Elon Musk says, I mean, I've got billions of dollars. I could probably do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And look at him do it. And I really think one of the things overall a lot of the candidates hit perfectly on is the idea of us becoming a respectable party for impoverished people i i think the libertarian party is the ideal party for people who are poor and people who are dealing with the throes of government destroying their lives but people are abrasive to that because who helps people in poverty the government right but not really so that's my thing about bringing in outsiders to the Libertarian Party is it is the only party besides like straight up communism with Karl Marx that you have a a literal plethora of ph- philosophy behind, you yeah. know, and th- these are books like I haven't completely dove in like I haven't finished Anatomy of the State or I haven't finished Human Action, but I'm getting there and and. In order to actually know uh, where you stand in in the Libertarian Party, you have to know what you affiliate with, right? So it's the only party that I can think of that has a philosophical backing, right? Uh, you know, principles. We're we're more than just a political party. We're a philosophical ideology. Someone said at the convention, they're like, it's kind of like a religion. <laughs> it is. Yeah, and. One of the things I've found really cool about it is the fact that we actually have an entire library of philosophy backing what we're saying. Mm-hmm. It's with the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, they have a few books here and there. Obviously, you know, in the case of the Democratic Party, you have the Communist Manifesto Ooh. and books like that. And Mostly in the, lies. In the case of the Republican Party, you've got books like Mein Kampf and <laughs> books of that nature. In the Libertarian yeah. Party, you have books like Man, Economy, and State. The Road to Serfdom, books that organize our thoughts, codify them almost, and make them something that anybody can read, something that anybody can apply to their daily lives, and something that these presidential candidates can take to the bank and run on. Mm -hmm. And it's stuff that you can boil it down to as simple as the non-aggression principle, right? Yeah. Like, let me wave my fist around as much as I want to without hitting someone, and once I hit someone, I've aggressed on that person. And a lot of people confuse that for, like, pacifism, but it's not pacifism. Like, because if you aggress on me, I have the right to self, you know, defend myself. It's something that's founded, um, if you guys are familiar with Sikhism, it's 
it's a lot of defending those who don't defend themselves or who can't defend themselves. You defend yourself when you need to. You defend your property when you need to. Your justly acquired property, that is. And you defend people who can't defend themselves. It's something that's in our laws, too. We have self-defense as a defense to certain violent crimes. And you have defense of others as a defense. Moida. It's it's in there. But um, I just wanted to say, you really liked Adam Kokesh, too. Yeah, I really did. And uh, I was actually going to bring him up. Uh, next anyway so this is a good segue um, I like Adam Kokesh I, I would really like to talk with him more about his his uh, main thing which I believe was local localization he wants to you know obviously abolish the state and reel everything back and from what I understood is for now there's a bunch of different sects of uh, libertarians right you have literally socialist libertarians which is like an oxymoron to me i don't fucking understand it so you have anarcho-communists and you have anarcho-capitalists and these people don't want to set up government in the same way at all they don't want to set it up in the same way at all but what they do want is to abolish the state yes and so what i got from uh one conversation with Adam was once we abolish the state and we go to a localized system, you know, wash your hands clean. You can set up your government how you like it. Yeah. And I'll set up my government how I like it, depending on my community. And in a way that resonated with me, but the questions I have being, uh, with foreign policy in a particular specialized interest of mine and it globe you know globalized trade and stuff how does that come into play when you're competing with child labor overseas you know because libertarian principles if we can get cheap goods uh somewhere we're gonna get cheap goods somewhere so we can sell those to you for a cheaper price yeah and and then the people making money over there they're making money hopefully um on a voluntary basis, obviously child labor, not the ideal situation, but some families in China are working for that amount of money because they need that money. And that's the way a lot of people look at this. So I just have questions with the flow of commerce, really international commerce. If the state were to be abolished and government to go down to those localized levels, I obviously like the idea of a tailor made government to your specific region but the implementation of that nowadays in a globalized world you know well kokesh does a really nice thing of talking about how we would go about doing that and he was talking about um liquidation of assets which i think is kind of a cool concept so liquidating our offensive military assets well that's that's a huge boost in commerce how many offensive military assets do we have hundreds of millions of dollars maybe billions of dollars worth and one of the things he preaches but doesn't say outright is something that i've always believed and it's the fact that i want socialism for my family communism for my friends and my Mm -hmm. community i want to be a democrat for my state or republican for my region but i'm an anarchist for my country right and I, i i fully believe in that as well you know like if i'm eating we're all eating yeah like if if, if God forbid all my boys were poor, which they're not, they're they're doing a good job for themselves. But like, uh, if if I made it big, like millions of dollars, like we're gonna look like Dan Blitzerian, you know? Yeah, that's just how it is. The boys are eating. The boys are eating. Everyone's gonna eat. And same with the family, you know. If I have food on my plate and someone doesn't, we share. But with that being said, I'm looking out for the best interest in my family, and so. I don't need to share it with anyone else. I just need to share it with my family. <laughs> yeah, because someone else out there is going to share it with their family, and if those people truly need it, they will ask for help, and you will provide it. Because because you have extra. Now that the government's not taking it from you, <laughs> that's how it is. Yeah. So that's that's how it should be, at least. That's not how it is. You don't have enough right now because the government's taxing you every which way. One of the funny trend lines we actually looked at in my um, macroeconomics class in undergrad was the trend line between um, – taxes and charitable donations 
over a period of history adjusted for it was 2018 or 2017 dollars back then and charitable donations slowly went down as taxes slowly increased wow what do you know <laughs> and and i've i've had this argument with with a lot of people saying charity doesn't work well, it does it does when people have extra yeah uh, and and if you don't have extra you're not going to get you know especially like I, I don't know. You could definitely devise a system where people voluntarily give their money and it'll work out because there's so many different interests. Like, I don't have the same chair. Like, I'm sure you have a different chair. What's, what's your charity of choice? I give to the Greek church. The Greek church? So I would give to, like, the Fight for the Forgotten. Like, I like that charity. It's something I've heard of through podcasts and stuff. And I like that one. You like giving to the Greek church, you know. Um, Heather likes giving to the fake titty foundation, whatever. Exactly. I hope she listens to this. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'd like to ask him more about doing that. But I think, I think, uh, you painted a good picture there with liquidating the offensive military assets. That's a lot of money spent there. Then you have the problem of different power vacuums and what happens in different regions because we're not just talking about the Middle East now. <laughs> we're talking about the whole fucking cookie, dude. <laughs> the whole world. So you're pulling out from South Korea, Japan, um, pretty much the whole world, actually. Germany. I I think we have... We have military bases everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I think in 90 different countries. Yeah. I, I had a buddy stationed in Africa for a little bit. I yeah. don't know where. I, I've got a friend right now who's going over to Italy. Qatar. Qatar. We've, we've got bases everywhere. Lots. If you can think, we're actually, we actually just got a few more bases in Greece. My grandmother was super excited about that. They're reopening the base that she used to go to when she was a kid in Athens. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of fishy. Yeah. You know, but that's, it's a good place to have a base. Hmm. I digress. Me old base. Uh, <laughs> another thing that I like about um, Adam is that he is a war vet and, uh, he does have answers for the the 22 suicides a day by our by our veterans so this is unconventional um it's something i'm a major proponent of something that people are doing overseas to help combat ptsd and uh different mental health illnesses so psychedelics the usage of psychedelics to treat uh, mental illness and PTSD. I don't know if I like the term psychedelics. I would use psychoactives is a better term because psychedelics, it the implication shrooms, bro, <laughs> shrooms and K. Yeah, but like psychoactives, I think is a better way of putting it because what they do is they stimulate your brain. Psychotherapy. It's psychotherapy. There we it's, go. It's using psychoactive drugs to help stimulate the brain in certain ways that you want it stimulated that aren't negative. Right. And the way I've had it explained to me, like, the book on uh, uh, antidepressants and basically, like, figuring out which one is right for you is very, very thick. And it's, like, not a science yet. And so doctors kind of just go with this one and are like, try that one out and tell me how you feel in about a month. And when they come back and they're like, I want to kill myself. I'm so numb. They're like, oh, shit, that didn't work. Here's another one stuff like psychedelics and and like mushrooms that are natural that tribes and not even just mushrooms just natural substances that are illegal in this country that you don't have the right to ingest uh just are, that right there that right you there. don't have the right to ingest them you don't have <laughs> the right to do it and they've been a part of human culture and nature for thousands of years before civilized nations even started being civilized. Yeah. So, so these are things that I think are at the foundation of our human being, like just what makes us human. And these are things that are illegal and things that are good for your mental health when used in the right way. Yeah. And the fact that there's a president advocating for that, I've I've never heard of a presidential candidate going up there and being like, hey, mm -hmm. we got a lot of veterans out there who are struggling with mental health issues. 
give him ketamine. Mm-hmm. And these are, uh, let me, let's see, because I don't want to just blow smoke up your ass, but this is something that I would love to do. Um, I'm going to look this up real quick. What should I look at? It's, it's like percentage uh, of recovery rates. Recovery, depression. Yeah. Recovery, depression. Psychoactives. Is it on there? No. Or shrooms. <laughs> Psycho. Oh, I can't spell. Psychotherapy? Recovery? I think that's it. Right there? Yeah. Yeah. La, 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 Well, they're la. using, they're using, uh, what is it? Shrooms? Ketamine? MDMA. MDMA. Molly, for those of you out there. Yeah, you can just do recovery from depression, Molly. Or MDMA. <laughs> Ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> But no, really, it, um, the one guy Rogan had on his podcast, the former war photographer, d- did a really good job talking about his recovery using psychoactives. Yeah, MDMA and depression right there. The recovery village. Yeah. I just want some numbers just to make, because I, I heard something a while back and it was it was like... Uh, oh no, that's, that's the wrong website. It was like... Uh, 80% effective long-term versus your ordinary antidepressants. Yeah. And and that is a crazy number, especially for the, the FDA to say, nope, can't do it, can't use it. Yeah. And again, that goes back to what we were talking about with licensing. You have to be licensed to be able to give MDMA therapy, which and is even, nuts. And even Rand Paul was pushing for a more open, open um, FDA because it's something about something – about, uh, you know, things are coming through the pipeline, like in in the EU, and they they go super fast. and And the time it takes for drugs to get through uh, the FDA is just it's just too it's too long. Yeah, we need we need a system that is made for you know, like take the coronavirus, like. What if there was a drug that's in the pipeline now that we could fast track? Like, yeah, you can fast track stuff now, but there's so many regulations, it still takes forever. Yeah. If there's something that works, we need it to work. Oh, there we go. We zoomed in on that one. Treating PTSD with MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. See, that sounds a lot nicer than me saying, hey, <laughs> some Molly. Do some Molly if Some Molly will help the troops. That's why I can't run for president. One in seven service members returning from Iraq and Afghanistan suffers from PTSD. Go down to what is not, not go that. down go to, to the, the percentage success. Yeah. Current results. Here we go. Uh, 83% of participants were no longer diagnosed with PTSD at two months of follow-up. See, that's that's insane. And you have people on antidepressants for years. Xanax for years. I think... And it's, a, it's a great platform to run on. It is. It's... It's amazing, and I think it taps into those the people that don't vote usually, um, which Adam Kokesh talked about. So if you tally up all the people in the United States that can vote, and uh, here we go. So in 2016, uh, with people not voting, here's how many, uh, I think, electorates they would have got in, in the Electoral College. So Trump would have got 21. Clinton would have got 72. And 445 went to nobody. Yeah. That's how it would have panned out. And we're trying to reach out to those people. We're trying to reach out to the people who did vote for Clinton and did vote for Trump, obviously. But stuff like this, you're not going to get in the Republican Party or the Democrat Party because they want to throw you in jail or they don't want you to have these drugs for moral reasons. Yeah. And that's a good place to start grabbing people from. Everyone always says, oh, you're not going to get the people who don't vote to vote. But... One of the ways you can do that is start talking about issues that nobody really even thinks are issues. Yeah. This is something that is near and dear to me because it's like these substances can actually help people. Like you see the numbers in, in overseas and even in Portugal when they where they decriminalize all drugs, everything's going very, very well over there. And the numbers for crime have diminished, obviously, because it's not illegal to have drugs. So that's going to take a lot of the crime down. And then the treatment of substance abuse is more open. People are going to be open to that because they're not afraid of going to jail. Okay, so let's take this back. Yeah. Let's take this back. So Kokesh, we like him. 
I love him. I I love him. Uh, if if I could relate to a guy and also have him as my president, I'm I'm in a good boat. And that's why I like a lot of these libertarians. Like at the end of the day, they're more relatable people than Hillary Clinton, who I felt like was a robot, or any of the Democrats on stage now. Uh, besides Tulsi, we talked about Tulsi on the podcast a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a real shame what they did to her. Mm-hmm. But that's the system, man. It'll eat you alive. <laughs> yeah, I think she might be diving into some diving into some libertarian readings. Hopefully soon, we'll see. I could, I could really see her changing her philosophy and running running on more of a libertarian platform. She's still young. Yeah, very young, mm-hmm. very young. But that that pretty much wraps it up for how many. Uh, all the candidates really all a lot of the other candidates we didn't find super interesting um obviously vermin supremes in there i don't know if you have i got stuff on vermin uh vermin did a great job in florida obviously came in third by a couple votes i thought about throwing my little uh army man in there that's how they did the straw poll um but like i said vermin has a great following if that that's your main attraction of vermin and also Really smart guy when you talk to him, break it down, and uh, really down to earth. He brought a lot of comic relief, which was needed because a lot of times he went right after Mark Whitney, which everyone was like, oh, my God. And then Vermo would come in and be like, well, <laughs> and we're like, okay, this guy is just, yeah, my first note, down to earth, um, said I might be on the Pony Express. Uh, he let me smoke with him a little bit. Gave me a little bit of his one hitter, so that was cool. Uh, he said he's building a backing, and he thinks he's the most pragmatic candidate. Which, you know, I don't know, <laughs> but he's he's showing that he's serious instead of being running as a meme now. Like he's actually running. He can still turn that on and off though, which is nice because he gives you kind of like the show with it and he's bringing attention to the party. But really, how is that that much different than Donald Trump? Oh, it's not. Donald Trump is like have you been to one of his rallies? Oh yeah, it's 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 a he's party. He's a character. Yeah, it's a party. He comes out to like Eye of the Tiger or something like that. Like that's yeah. what he did in Pensacola. And I think he quit using the little girls that looked like a like the little cheerleader. You know what I'm talking about? The thing that went viral. Yeah. Yeah, that was in Pensacola, and I was I was there. That was weird. I, I was looking at my buddy. I was like, that is weird. Vermin Supreme is the libertarian Donald Trump, mm-hmm. and a lot of people use that negatively. But I'm going to use it in the sense that not only is he a political candidate and someone who has, you know, a political ideology that aligns with our own, but he's also got a character to back it up. You know, he he is who he is, and he's also someone that people find entertaining, which I guess is what keeps people hooked nowadays. Yeah, the negative thing about Vermin the Supreme is if he ends up being president and uh, we're all like, yeah, he was super serious with this libertarian platform, we might actually get tricked into being Nazi toothbrushing police. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the thing. You don't want to get tricked into this whole moral and oral decay because what happens this is like hitler you know he was like yeah it's the jews fault i told you like, okay okay man, oh, whatever he's just a character <laughs> he's not he's not gonna actually do that but no if we end up having to go door to door and checking your teeth and giving ponies and taking away teslas it's your own fault you yeah. bought into it he's been telling you for 30 years he's trying to do this so that's your own fault if you vote for Vermin and you end up in the gulag because you don't have clean teeth. It'd be a damn shame. It would be a damn shame. I bought my tooth whitening kit this week. Yeah. You never know. Never know. <laughs> that's what I told him. I was like, if I'm ever going to work for your campaign, I'm going to need better teeth. He was like, mm, I like how you think. <laughs> <laughs> I think that covers it. I'm good. That's yeah. an hour. I don't think anyone else could listen to me babble for an hour. That's what I'm saying. Thank you, sir. Yeah, no problem. Oh, yeah. All right. Thank you for listening. This has been the 10th episode of Luchadors of Liberty, and we're going to try and be a little bit more consistent for you guys. It's It's been a, a tough haul for me here. Obviously, I'm in law school, so is my buddy D here, but I'm going to work on getting more content. 
I have been recently inspired by my trip to the LPF and getting uh, getting that interview with Adam Kokesh was was nice. It was a breath of fresh air into this podcast. So donate to our Patreon, uh, Higher Frequency Podcast, uh, so I can get a camera and then we can do this thing on Vidya. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be a good time. That's Thanks the next one. On, Anytime, you're the co-host. <laughs> this is this is our thing. This is our podcast. Also, Joey, if Joey listens to this, he's he was my main co-host back in Pensacola. He can come on anytime too. Yeah, he, I, he knows it. I appreciate you extending my contract. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We'll we'll work on negotiations soon. <laughs> Bye everybody. 3 2 Tuned in to higher frequency.